Our second presentation tonight is entitled, What Happened to Right and Wrong? What Happened to Right and Wrong? We're, we're seeing a lot of things happen in our world right now that are very concerning, and it often makes us want to ask this question, what's going on? What happened to right and wrong? So let's uh, go ahead and bow our heads one more time as we get into God's word tonight. Father in heaven, Lord, we just want to thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you that your word can be trusted. We thank you, Lord, that it's reliable. And we pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we open its sacred pages one more time. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would see the importance of your law, and uh, we would see, Lord, what the results are for neglecting that law, Lord, this lawlessness that we see on our planet today. Be with us, Lord, and uh, please guide our study tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to look, if you were to see Earth from space, you'd likely look down on a planet and think that everything was well. Astronaut Scott Kelly at one time was the commander of the International Space Station, and he said this. He said, we have a, a unique vantage point here aboard the International Space Station. As I look out the window, I see a very, a very beautiful planet that seems very inviting and peaceful, but unfortunately, it's not. He was right about that, wasn't he? <laughs> this planet isn't peaceful at all. There's war, there's strife, there's unrest. Every time you turn on the news, it's like, what in the world could be happening next? Last weekend, we saw some of the signs of Christ coming in Matthew chapter 24. We looked at that extensively. And um, another one of those signs mentioned in Matthew 24 says this. Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Does lawlessness abound in our world today? Indeed, it does. It's evident that the love of many is growing cold, and for some, it has grown cold. I don't have to give you too many examples. You can watch the news and, and see all the lawlessness that's happening, but I'll give you just a couple examples of some terrible events that have happened in the last few years. Back in 2005, maybe some of you, sorry, 2015, in Charleston, South Carolina, there were worshipers that went to church for a midweek prayer service. And while they were there worshiping God in the place that they expected to be safe, there was a man that came in and shot and killed nine people, including the pastor. And just this last month, a 25-year-old by the name of Emmanuel Sampson went into the Burnett Church of Christ in Nashville, Texas, and killed one while injuring seven before being taken down by one of the church deacons. Among them, among the injured, was the pastor, Joey Spann, who was shot in the chest and in the hand. Absolutely tragic events, friends. What is our world coming to? It seems like crime and violence are everywhere, even in places where you don't expect it. It's in the workplace. It's in schools. It's in shopping malls. And it's even in churches. It's not just, and it's not just organized crime. More and more, we're reading about lone individuals, young and old alike, often without a criminal record, going on violent shooting sprees, killing multiple victims at a time. Why is such crime on the rise? What's behind the lawlessness and the violence that we see in our world today? What's happening to our world? In the Western world, it seems like a whole new generation of young people have emerged, youth that are questioning, people that are skeptical and challenging, 
And who are their role models these days? Many times it's the entertainers, it's the stars, right? They're gazing at the stars, living for the moments. Sometimes kids uh, sometimes even watch their own parents lie or steal when it's convenient. Even some churches today are teaching that God's laws no longer apply. Some teach that the Ten Commandments have been abolished or that they're no longer relevant for us today. Some even say that the Ten Commandments are impossible to keep. Our world is in a very sad state of affairs. Without moral guidance, many people are just doing their own thing, and society is reaping a harvest of broken homes, uncontrolled children, and violent crimes. In the words of Hosea the prophet, in Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, it says, They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And our society has been sowing the wind of violence in the media, and we're reaping the whirlwind of crime. We've been sowing immorality, and we've been reaping the whirlwind of divorce. We've been sowing sexual explicit content on television, and now we have twisted individuals that are preying on our own children. There's a cause and effect relationship that's going on here, friends. But the question, we, the question must be asked, who determines when a situation is right or wrong? Isn't the moral judgment of even good people often imperfect at times? The Bible reminds us that, that sometimes we're not uh, good judges of what is right and wrong. Proverbs 16.25 tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The fact is, friends, is that our natural hearts often don't really want to know the truth about right and wrong. We often want to just do what we want to do, and we don't care what people think. That's often the case. The Apostle Paul predicted the times in which we live. It says, uh, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will be turned aside to what? They'll be turned aside to fables. People will be willing to give up the truth, and as long as they hear fables and pleasing things, they're okay with that. Friends, are we living in this time? I believe we are. Many don't want to hear the truth. Instead, they want to hear pleasing things. They want to hear fables. But friends, we want to be people of this book. Amen? We want to be people of the Bible. And friends, we want to be people that are 100% committed to Jesus and committed to his word. We want to follow the lamb wherever he leads. Amen? It's sad to say, friends, but unfortunately our, our society is discovering that we do not get freedom by throwing out the rules. It should be no surprise to anyone that if you remove the standard of right and wrong, chaos results. For instance, if you removed all the traffic signs and all the traffic signals, there would be chaos on the roads, wouldn't there? People would be doing all sorts of crazy things, and it would be a mess. No, friends, true freedom isn't found in getting rid of the rules. We don't prosper when we forget the foundations of a prosperous society. 
We saw in our last presentation uh, last weekend, uh, the one on Saturday night, that we're living in what the Bible calls the judgment hour. Revelation 14, 7 says, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Tonight, we're going to take a look at what God's standard of judging is, and it's his holy law of love. A long time ago, God wrote down a formula for a crime-free society. And if it had always been followed, crime would have never existed, and everyone would be safe and happy. That formula is the Ten Commandments. God gave, God gave us his divine law so that we could know how to live in peace and safety, so that man would know the difference between right and wrong. God wrote out his law, and he gave it on Mount Sinai. This took place after God had, had led his, the Israelites, his people, out of Egypt, and he was taking them to the promised land. Let's take a quick look at the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. You can read along in your Bibles if you'd like, but we'll have it here on the screen as well. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, the Bible says, You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to how many? To thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Commandment number six. You shall not murder. Commandment number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Commandment 8, you shall not steal. Commandment 9, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And commandment 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his iPhone, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Okay? Nor anything that is your neighbor's. Friends, knowing how forgetful we can be God wrote the Ten Commandments down on two tables of stone with his own finger. The Bible describes this in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. It says, And when he, that is God, had made an end of speaking to him, that is Moses, on Mount Sinai, he, that is God, gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with what? The finger of God. That's significant, friends. It was written with his own finger. So, friends, even though this was the first time God had given his law in written form, it had existed from all eternity. 
The basis, the, the eternal, un, unchangeable standard of morality had been the basis of God's heavenly government from the very beginning. We saw last weekend about this great cosmic conflict, the great controversy that's going on in Revelation chapter 12, that there was a war that took place in heaven. We saw that Lucifer wanted to be like the Most High, that he wanted to, to rule in heaven. And he wanted to implement his own rules instead of following the law of God's government. We also saw that the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. And that love is the foundation of God's government. We also saw last week that Lucifer rejected that love. And that he and one third of the angels rebelled against the government of God. And they were eventually kicked out of heaven down to this earth. And when you look in the book of Genesis, you see evidence that Adam and Eve had a knowledge of God's law, even back in the Garden of Eden. Because after they sinned, they felt the emotions and the shame and guilt. And when Cain and Abel uh, got, when Cain became angry at Abel, his brother, because God had accepted Abel's offering and not his, God came to him and he gave him a warning. He said this in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You see, friends, God's law had been in in effect by this time. For we are told in Romans chapter 4, verse 15, For where there is no law, there is no transgression. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 affirms this by saying, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth, transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. So here we see clearly from this verse that sin is transgression of the law. So if there had been no law, Lucifer, Adam and Eve, Cain, they would not have done anything wrong. They simply would have remained in a sinless state had there been no law. But the scriptures tell us that Abraham also knew and obeyed the law of God, but even before the law was spoken on Mount Sinai. Genesis chapter 26 verse 5 tells us, Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So here we see the example of Abraham. We also see that Joseph knew that adultery was sin. How would he have known that? He knew the commandments. The Bible tells us here in Genesis 39, verse 9, he said to Potiphar's wife, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? Sin against God. He knew God's law. He knew God's standard of right and wrong. And that's why he firmly determined that he was not going to transgress God's holy law. He was not going to sleep with Potiphar's wife. We see also the example of the children of Israel. They had been instructed to serve and obey God, but during their cruel captivity in Egypt, they forgot God's law. And after the Exodus, just a short time before they reached Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were written with the very finger of God, the Lord rebuked Moses because the Israelites were actually breaking the Sabbath. They were attempting to gather manna on the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 16 talks about this. It says here in verse 28 and 30, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? 
So the people rested on the seventh day. So here we see, friends, that the fourth commandment was recognized even before Mount Sinai. This is significant, friends. These are indications that God's law existed way before they were ever written uh, by God's finger on the tables of stone and given to Moses. Yes, friends, God's law is the eternal standard of rights for the universe. And really, should it be any surprise to us that God has a law that governs his kingdom? I don't think it would be... uh, too far off. It says no harmonious, happy, safe place can function without laws. For instance, even children, when they're playing games, they're always creating rules, aren't they? I know I play with my little nieces and my nephew, and they're always creating and making up new games, and then they all of a sudden create these rules, and the rules sometimes change. (laughs) But God's rules do not change, amen? So is it any surprise to us that God's government would also have rules? I don't think it comes as a surprise, friends. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, For God is not the author of confusion. What would it be like if there was no law? It would be confusion, right? So God is not the author of confusion or disorder, but of peace, the Bible says. Now, the New Testament does not do away with the law of God. Instead, it helps us to understand the reason for its existence and how we can obey God's commandments. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, if you love me, friends, do you love Jesus? Amen. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. In fact, Jesus pointed out that love is the basis for keeping all of the 10 commandments. It's about love, showing your love to God and to man. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, Jesus quotes from the book of Deuteronomy in Leviticus, and he says this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So friends, if we truly love God with all of our hearts, minds, and soul, we will certainly express that love by keeping the first four commandments, uh, and all of the commandments, actually. But uh, commandment number one says that the principle is that that God will be number one in our life. That's what it means when you put no other gods before me. Number two, our worship will be reserved for God alone. The principle behind commandment three is we will respect and reverence God's holy name. His name is holy. Number four, we will be excited to keep our appointment with God each Sabbath. And friends, if we really love our fellow men, then we will express, we, we will express it in these ways. We will respect and honor our parents. We will value human life from beginning to end. We will preserve morality. We will respect the property of others. We were not going to steal other people's stuff. Number nine, we will be honest in our relationship with others. God wants us to be honest with each other. Number 10, and we shall not covet that which belongs to another, no matter what it is. We can't keep up with the Joneses, friends, and um, there's no point in trying. As you can see here, friends, the Ten Commandments are amazingly concise yet comprehensive principles to live by. Estimates indicate that to control human behavior, man has drafted more than 35 million laws. That's a lot of laws, isn't it? 
That's a lot of laws. But in the Ten Commandments, God gave principles that truly cover all of human behavior. Only God could write such a perfect and holy law. In Psalm 19, verse 7, the Bible says, The law of the Lord is what? It's perfect, converting the soul. Perhaps the reason that the law is perfect is because it's a reflection of the very person of God. Being a perfect law, it cannot be altered. How can you improve upon perfection anyways? You can't, right? So just like God doesn't change, so the principles of his government remain the same for all time and in all places. That's why Jesus said in Luke 16, 17, he said, it is, And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle, that is one tiny part of the law, to fail. Friends, some may feel that the Ten Commandments restricts their happiness, but, but it's actually the exact opposite. God never meant for his law to be a burden or to restrict our happiness, but rather it's to preserve our happiness. It's a wall of protection shielding us from sorrow and from guilt. He intended that the law would guarantee everyone's freedom and everyone's safety. God said in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Friends, just as we build guardrails on bridges and roads, to protect us from danger. God gives us his law to protect us and to guard us on this road of life. But there's another reason that God gave man his law. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says that by the law is a knowledge of sin. Later in Romans 7, 7, Paul said, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Friends, God's, God's law is like a mirror. It shows us our condition. And as we look into that mirror, we may not like what we see at times. But destroying the law and ignoring the law won't change our condition. God's law points out our sins. And it helps us feel our need of a Savior. As I look into God's law, I see that I have sinned. I have fallen short. But it helps me to sense my great need of the Savior. For while it shows us the problem, the law cannot give us power to overcome sin or remove guilt. Only God can do that. No amount of good we can do in the future will erase sin committed in the past. So how then can we receive forgiveness? We looked at that a little bit earlier this last presentation. How can we be saved from the penalty of a broken law, which is death? Well, at the very gates of the Garden of Eden, God instituted the graphic reminder of that sin brings death. We saw in our past presentation that an innocent lamb was to be sacrificed to show the sinner that God's plan to save them. And as we saw in our last presentation, that lamb pointed forward to Christ, the true lamb of God who would take man's punishment and suffer his death. This was the way this was God's way of helping Adam understand how the Son of Man must die to satisfy the claims of a broken law. Christ, the Lamb of God, would take man's punishment and suffer his death. This was the only way for man to be restored. The broken law certainly couldn't save him. The law cannot save us. Amen? 
Only Christ can save us. If God's law could have been abolished or changed, Jesus would not have needed to die. Calvary would have been completely unnecessary if he could have just changed his law. The Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 3.21. He said, if, if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Friends, if the law could have, could have saved us, Christ would not have needed to die. But if the principles of the law weren't very important, they could have just been changed, right? And man's sin could have been excused. But that wasn't possible because they are the very principles of the character of God. God in his love and mercy found a way to save man that was in perfect harmony with heaven's principles. Christ's perfect sacrifice does not do away with the law. But, but you hear that sometimes. You, say, you hear people say, well, that the law has been done away with. Well, let's think about that logic for a moment, friends. If you say that the law has been done away with, if there's no law, then there is no sin. Because sin, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 4, sin is transgression of the law. So if there's no law, there's no sin. If there's no law, then we don't need grace. And since grace is God's loving mercy when we've broken God's law, we need that mercy because we've all broken God's law. But if we don't need grace, then we can do away with the cross. And there is no need for the sacrifice of Christ. If there's no need for the cross, then we don't need a Savior. Friends, you can't do away with the law. Because if you do away with the law, you also do away with sin and the need for grace and the cross and our Savior. But the cross is an eternal reminder of the price that God was willing to pay to satisfy the claims of a broken law and to save guilty humanity. If God's law could have been abolished or changed, then Jesus would not have needed to die and Calvary would have been completely unnecessary. But God could not ignore our sins. He couldn't just ignore the sin problem. He had to come and rescue us. And number two, he could not change his law. It's immutable. It's unchangeable. So sinful man needed a savior. And praise God, he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. Amen? Praise God, he died as our substitute, our lamb, and he became our savior. Make no mistake, friends, we're not saved by our works. Let me be very clear by that. We're not saved by our works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, for by grace you have been saved. Do you believe that? We, it is by grace that we have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're not saved by works. We're saved by God's grace through faith. Now, some might ask, if we're saved by grace, then are, aren't we free to live a life of disobedience? Absolutely not, friends. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Suppose a man is in prison for killing a policeman. If he receives pardon and is set free, does that mean that he's free to kill as many police officers as he would like? Of course not. Because he's pardoned, he will want more than ever to obey the law. 
And friends, as we accept pardon from Christ, he provides forgiveness. And also he provides power to be able to keep his commandments. For he promised to fulfill the new covenant in us. Here's where the new covenant is written in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. It describes this new covenant experience that God wants each and every one of us to experience. The Bible says, I, that is God, I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. Friends, God wants to write his law in our mind and in our hearts. It's easy to do something when you love to do it, isn't it? Like if you love to go hiking in the woods, it's, you know, you'll find every excuse possible to get off of work early or take a day off and go out into nature and and go for that hike that you want to go on. So it's easy to do something when you love it. And that is what God promised to those who choose to follow him. He will write his law in their heart and mind so that they will love to keep it. That's the only way that fallen man will be able to keep and follow God's law, as if he writes it in our hearts and in our minds. It was because of Christ's love for his Father that he was able to keep the commandments. For Jesus said this, Jesus said in John 15, 10, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Friends, Christ kept kept the commandments, and if they were good enough for Jesus, then they should be good enough for us. Amen? He had He kept his father's commandments and abided in his love. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Friends, do you love Jesus? Then Jesus says, keep my commandments. Here Jesus asks us to show our love to him by keeping his commandments. The book of Revelation describes God's end time people as being a commandment keeping people. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 says this, it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who do what? They keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So here in these last days, God is going to have a commandment keeping people that love Jesus more than anything and want to follow him in everything that he reveals to them. But friends, it won't be easy for those people. It won't always be popular, but John the Revelator saw this, saw that in God's Last, that God's last day people as, as a com- commandment-keeping people. He saw them as a commandment-keeping people, and he saw that even in the face of opposition. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. It tells us that there will be persecution. It says, and the dragon was wroth. That means angry. He was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here we see in the end of time, God, uh, Satan rather, has uh, anger towards people that keep God's commandments. He's at war with them, trying to do all he can to discourage them. Friends, why will God's people be keeping the commandments of God? Is it because they want to save themselves? No. Someone should have said no. <laughs> it's not because they want to save themselves. It's, is it because they're legalists? No. It's because they love Jesus. They love Jesus. They want to do the things that please him. Friends, the greatest demonstration of love and obedience to the will of God was vividly portrayed one cold, dark night under an old olive tree in a garden. With drops of blood that trickled down his face, the Son of God prayed, and he said this. He said, O my Father, if it is possible... 
Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The fate of the human race hung in the balance that day. A guilty world was either going to be saved or lost. Jesus could have, what, he could have wiped his sweat from his brow and said, let the sinner suffer the consequences of his own sins. He could have walked away from it all. Or he could choose to carry the cross for us. And friends, I'm so thankful that Jesus made that decision, aren't you? He shed his blood so that we could be pardoned. He died the death that was ours so that we could live eternally with him. And he did it all because of love. That love does something to our hearts. It awakens love for him in return. In these last days, God's people will love him so much that they will want to do all that God asks of them. They will want to show their love to God by doing his will. They will want to live the way that he lived and make his principles their own. They will want to follow God's simple request. If you love me, keep my commandments. Is that your desire tonight, friends? You love Jesus, you want to keep his commandments? Do you want to love the one who first loved you? Do you want to make his principles your own? Jesus wants to write his law, his principles in our hearts and in our minds. He wants to make them a part of who we are. He wants to give you the grace and the power to keep his law. You may feel weak, and friends, we are all weak. We all stumble and fall, but Jesus is strong, amen? We can rely upon him. No matter how many times you've fallen in the past, Jesus invites you to begin anew with him today. How many of you want God to write his law of love in your hearts and in your minds here tonight? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we've seen tonight that we are living in a world that has disregarded your law. Lord, people are blowing each other's heads off left and right. People are stealing at, at, at just crazy amounts of things, Lord. Lord, people are taking your name in vain. People are coveting their neighbor's possessions. Lord, we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Lord, your law has been violated. Lord, we have violated your law. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness tonight. Lord, we pray that, that you would live in our hearts, that you would help us, Lord, to love your law, that you would write your law in our minds and in our hearts, that we would, that we would love it, that we would want to do the things that please you. Lord, just as, just as spouses love to show love to one another, Lord, I pray that we would show love to you by doing what you ask, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with each person here tonight, Lord. We see all these things happening around us, and Lord, it can be very troubling. But Lord, we, we claim the promise, Lord, that, that you are coming soon. You've said that when we see all these things happening, Lord, know that the end is near. And so, Lord, we pray that in these last days that you would help us to be a part of your faithful commandment-keeping people, that you would live in our hearts, that, that it wouldn't be out of legalism, Lord, that we wouldn't try and keep your law out of legalism, but out of love. Lord, help us to have that love relationship with you that's real, that's genuine. Help us, Lord, to spend time with you each day in your word, studying it, and in prayer, talking with you as our creator God. Lord, we pray. I pray for each person here tonight, Lord. May we be found in that great number when you come, as waiting and ready when you come, Lord. Bless each one of us as we leave this place tonight. Keep us uh, safe and bring us back again tomorrow night, Lord. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.